Well, we're continuing our Lenten sermon series on worth a thousand words, and this has been such a a great series. This was developed by uh, 10 of us Presbyterian churches here in the Austin area, put together all the the preaching materials and the videos and the the Sunday school material for the children and the student ministries and the uh, adults and small groups. It's been a great series for Lent, worth a thousand words. Uh, We have been encouraging everyone to actually uh, participate on social media with the hashtag 1000WordsLent and every week to be able to add your pictures into this visual journey through Lent. Um, and I think we've got a few examples of some things that got posted this past week. Um, there we go for Wonder uh, at Glacier National Park. Um, beautiful, beautiful. And uh, praising the baby Jesus. No wonder that nobody got hurt. There we go. Rescue. Evocative images that uh, make us realize both how precious and precarious life is and how much God is a part of our world and our lives, rescuing us and saving us and empowering us to be God's people. Today our focus is on destiny. What do you think? You think there's such a thing as destiny? Do you think our lives have a plan and a purpose, an intentionality about them? Or do you think it's all just random and happenstance and just the, the luck of the draw? Things happen as they will for no rhyme or reason. In our scripture reading today from John's Gospel, Jesus makes, makes it quite clear that there is a plan and a purpose. He has a divinely appointed mission, a destiny, if you will, and there is nothing that will prevent him from fulfilling that destiny. I invite you to read along with me if you'd like. I'm reading today from the Gospel according to John, the 12th chapter beginning at the 20th verse. Let us listen for God's word to us. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, 
will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. My friends, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you. You never fail to bless us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. We pray that it finds its home in our hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts and removing from my lips any words but your own. That with faithfulness and with integrity, I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. So many, many years ago, when Betty Crocker started making pre-packaged cakes in a box, they thought they had a brilliant idea. Let's make cake as easy as possible. And so all the people had to do was rip open the bag, pour it in a bowl, add a cup of water, stir and bake. It was a flop. No one wanted the product. So Betty Crocker uh, hired a, a, a marketing advertising agency to figure out what was wrong with this amazing product. Why weren't people buying it? And what they came back with was that people felt it was, get this, too easy. See, back then, people took great pride in their baking skills. And if all you had to do was add water to it, they weren't comfortable saying, I baked this cake, because they didn't feel like they had really baked the cake. And so Betty Crocker went back and reformulated the recipe so that now you added some vegetable oil, one egg, and a cup of water. Suddenly, they couldn't keep it on the shelf. Everybody wanted Betty Crocker cake mixes. Who could have guessed that something would be too easy? A foreign concept to our culture today, I think. When now we can't even wait for the cake, we got to put it in the microwave. Jesus was never accused of soft-selling the gospel. Jesus was never accused of making things too easy for people. In our scripture reading today, we find Jesus and the disciples have entered Jerusalem at the beginning of what now we refer to as Holy Week. In these days leading up to the Jewish festival, the Passover, Jerusalem often swelled to three, four times its normal population. And the weeks leading up to Passover were very hectic and busy. There were preparations that had to be made, food that had to be purchased. Things had to be done. And so the market would have been overflowing. The streets would have been crowded. It would have been a hassle just to go about your daily life when you have hundreds, hundreds of thousands of guests in the city these days. And while they're in the city, we are told by John that some Greeks come forward seeking Jesus. Now, Greeks for John is code for anyone who's not a Jew. We don't actually know that they're from Greece. All we know is they weren't Jewish. They weren't from Israel. And the point here is to emphasize, as John does throughout his gospel, that Jesus came to be the Savior of all the world, that Jesus came to be the light for all people, not just for Jews. And so here we have him telling us that these non-Jews, the Greeks, came seeking Jesus. And they approached Philip, 
Seemed harmless enough, I suppose. Philip runs it up the chain of command to Andrew, and from Andrew they get to Jesus. And they say, Jesus, this is so great. These guys want to meet you. Now, I've got a feeling that this encounter didn't go the way Philip and Andrew had hoped it would have. Jesus did not greet these folks with a cup of warm tea and a biscuit. He did not say, hey, glad to meet you, glad to ha have a seat over here. What can I tell you? Instead, Jesus launches into this speech about now is the time. This is the hour that the Son of Man will be glorified. He talks about how a seed has to die, has to be buried in the ground if it is to come forward and give new life. He talks about how those who would be his followers must do likewise, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Whoever loves his life will lose it. Whoever hates his life in this world, whoever is willing to walk that difficult path, whoever is ready to follow Jesus right up to the cross, they will save their life for all eternity. This is not the kind of welcome, glad you're here message that Philip and Andrew were expecting Jesus to give. But Jesus never shied away from speaking the truth, even when it was a hard truth. Jesus knew that the path of discipleship was going to be difficult. He knew that it would require sacrifice and humility and service. That there would not be a lot of earthly rewards for being one of his disciples. And yet he also knew it was the only way, only way to, to receive the blessing of eternal life. You ever remember the wonderful movie, Mr. Holland's Opus, Richard Dreyfus, probably his best, best movie ever? Well, for those of you who may not remember, Mr. Holland, who is played by Richard Dreyfus, is a musician. He's a composer. He has this music in his head, and it's like he cannot write it down fast enough. He is clear that his life is going to be about making music, about giving the world the gift of this amazing symphony that he's got playing in his head. He's going to be the next John Williams, if you will. Well, life happens, and he has a son, and his son has special needs, so he's got to get a job, so he takes a temporary, a temp job, teaching music at the local high school. It's just temporary. He'll still work on composing his music in his uh, spare time in the evenings, well, one thing leads to another, leads to another, and, and soon 30 years have gone by, and he's never left that temp job. There was a moment in the movie where he is given the opportunity to flee, where he can pursue his desires, where he can get away from this, this high school and, and these band and orchestra students, and, and he can go to New York and pursue his dream. But at that moment, he realizes that his life is not about pursuing that dream. It's about fulfilling his responsibilities. It's about fulfilling his obligations. It's about living his destiny. And sometimes his destiny doesn't match with the dream. And so he stays to teach. Well, there's a very poignant scene. His last day of work as he's cleaning out his office, putting all of his memorabilia into one last box to carry out to the car. And he's bemoaning 
What a waste his life has been. How he never accomplished what he set out to accomplish. How he really did just puts away the time and the gifts that he had been given. And what a, a wretch of a person he was. And as he's walking out of the building, he hears this sound. This sound of rumble and of music coming from the gymnasium. And he opens the door and inside the gym are hundreds if not a thousand of his current and former students who have all gathered to pay tribute to him. And they escort him up onto the stage of the gymnasium where his current and former students all have their orchestra instruments and they give him the baton. And one last time, he leads them in playing a symphony. And it is in that moment that he has this amazing revelation that while his dream may have died, his dream may have been buried in the past. Indeed, it has sprung to life in the lives of all these people in the room. All of these students who he mentored, all these students who he taught, all these students who he poured his own life into, they were his masterpiece. That's what Jesus is talking about. We all have hopes and dreams, expectations, ambitions, desires. Sometimes we are called upon to set them aside for a greater purpose. Because you see, life is not about what we get. Life is not about claiming all you can. It's not about, about your own wealth and health and prosperity and your personal pleasure. Life is about fulfilling God's purpose for our lives. Life is about giving up so that we can in turn receive. Life is about sacrifice and service in the name of Jesus Christ so that we might be joined with Christ in receiving the eternal blessing of God. When these Greeks came to see Jesus. They really had no idea what they were getting themselves into. They were perhaps hoping to be healed, given a bit of wisdom, a little sage advice, perhaps a blessing. Perhaps they were hoping to see a miracle. If nothing else, maybe a free lunch, some loaves and fishes. Instead, Jesus told them, I want you to give up your life and come follow me. You see, the road to heaven is not easy. The road to the kingdom of God is filled with sacrifice and hardship. There is no such thing as cheap grace. Grace is costly. It cost God the life of his very own son. You see, we could never, by our own efforts, by our own meager abilities, achieve righteousness be worthy of heaven, to receive the blessings of God. It's too much for us. Jesus did that for us. Jesus made the sacrifice. Jesus paid the cost. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross that as he shared in the punishment of our sins, we might share in his righteousness before God. And that was a high price to pay. 
That was a big sacrifice to make. So don't ever believe that, that grace is cheap or that love is free or that being a disciple of Jesus is easy because it's not. It cost God the life of his very son. Friends, Jesus knows that the way is narrow and difficult and filled with struggle and hardship and obstacles. And that's why he went before us. And from the other side of the grave, from the eternity of God's heaven, with joyful arms, beckons us on to follow him in the path of righteousness and grace. May we be faithful disciples in giving of ourselves that the whole world might know that God sent his son Jesus to be our way, our truth, and our life. Amen. When Jesus was in Jerusalem, the scriptures tell us that he sat for the very last time with his disciples at the Passover table. They, remind, they were reminded that Jesus once told them that in the kingdom of heaven there will be all sorts of people. Unexpectedly. People will come from north and south, from east and west to sit at table in the kingdom of God. And my friends, for us gathered here today, this is our Lord's table. You are all invited to participate 